Welcome to the Islands Christian Church Podcast. We're so glad you're listening with us today. You can worship with us in person in Savannah, Georgia, or with our live stream every Sunday at 10 a.m. Take a minute to subscribe to this podcast to hear a new message every Monday. Thanks for listening. So we have we started this Jonah talk last week. If you were here, if you weren't, that's okay. Uh, we talked about how Jonah ran from God and it wasn't because he was afraid. Uh, it was because he was self-righteous. We talked about this last week. He was looking down his nose at the undeserving Ninevites. And so if you you know didn't hear that talk, you want to go back and hear, you can go to YouTube or our podcast. And um, the thing we learned last week was that Jonah knew that God was compassionate and gracious and kind and that Jonah would forgive the Ninevites. And Jonah did not want the Ninevites to be forgiven. And so he ran. He didn't run because he was scared. He ran because he didn't want God to do what God does, forgive us and love us. And he didn't want him to forgive the Ninevites. And so if you know the story, when he ran, he ended up on a shift going away from Nineveh, going to Tarshish. And a storm blew up, a bad storm, big waves, and the storm got worse and worse and worse. And the sailors on that storm uh, were trying to figure out why we had this big storm. They could tell this was a, you know, a God event. They're like, why is this happening? And they went and got Jonah out of the bottom of the ship. He was asleep in the storm. And they went and got him. They brought him up and said, hey, do you know anything about this? Who is your God? And he said, yes, I do know. This is me. This is on me, guys. This is my fault. I worship the God of heaven and earth, the creator of all things. And they're like, oh no, you worship the real God. Like, what have you done? And he's like, ah, just throw me overboard and the storm will go away. And they're like, oh, we can't throw you overboard. That we don't want to kill you. We don't want to murder you. That's terrible. And they try to row back to shore and, and, and uh, they, they couldn't go against the waves. The waves were keeping them out to sea. And so they said, hey man, uh, we sorry, but we're going to throw you overboard. All right. And so they threw it. They said, they said, uh, they said, God, don't hold this murder against us, but we we got to throw him. So they threw him overboard, and immediately the, um, the, the the storm went away, and everything went smooth. And this is what happened next. Jonah chapter 1, uh, verses 17 through uh, chapter 2, verse 10. I'm going to read all of this. If you have your Bibles or your uh, your phone or whatever, you can follow along, and we're going to read it all. It's, it won't take but a second. Um, it says this, Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now, from inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, he said. Now, if you're looking at this in your Bible, it's kind of like indented on both sides, right? It's indented on both sides. And oh, there it is on our screen. It's the same way. And so when you're reading the Bible and you see this happen to the page, what that tells you is that, oh, this is not prose. This is not prose. This is a poem. This is a song. And so literally what Jonah is writing for us is a song that he wrote. So he's had a terrible experience. He's had something bad happen to him. And this is after the fact that he's writing a song about what happened to him. So he's writing what is basically a worship song. He's like, hey, I did something stupid. God rescued me. Praise be to God. Anybody ever wrote that song before? You're like, yeah, I did one time. Okay, so this is the song he wrote. Uh, He said, verse, uh, uh, verse two, from inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, and he said, In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help. And you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. 
To the roots of the mountains I sank down, and the earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, you see that? But you, that, that the, the song just turned. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. So we were going down, and now what are we doing? We're going up. Brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's, turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. And then what does the text say? And the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. So Jonah had this moment in the fish. The fish arrived. The fish showed up. Interestingly, the Bible says uh, that God provided the fish in the translation we just read. But in another translation, it says God appointed the fish. All right, so what we're seeing here is the sovereignty of God. God provided Jonah just what he needed when he needed. He was sinking down into the water. He was drowning. You know, he was drowning going down. And God gave him the fish. And so here's the thing I've always wondered about the fish. It was the fish an act of mercy or was the fish an act of judgment? Was the fish an act of mercy or the fish an act of judgment? And for years and years and years, I would say, well, the fish was an act of mercy. It was an act of mercy. But then this week when I was reading this again, I thought, you know, I don't know at this point in the story when the fish shows up if we know what the fish is yet. Like at this point in the story, the fish is just providing a space. It's just giving Jonah space when the fish swallows him. Jonah's response inside the fish is what determines what happens next. You hear what I'm saying? It's Jonah's response when he's inside the fish that determines what happens, whether it's an act of mercy or an act of judgment. Now, on one level, you could argue that, well, the fish did save him from drowning, Stephen. And you're right, right? Because he was going down. He said, I was sinking, I was sinking. And the fish came and rescued him. But on the other hand, Jonah is still sinking inside the fish. The fish is now swimming in the ocean. And Jonah is, here's the thing, without some type of rescue mission from God, he's probably not going to survive the process that's coming in the fish. I need to get any more graphic we got, right? Death is imminent for him. It's not like, it's, it's not like he, might, he might be thinking, bro, I'd have been better off if you'd let me drown. This is not better. And so at this point in the story, the fish is just a space for Jonah to figure out what he wants for his future, what he wants to happen. Jonah was still alive for the time being, but God would have to provide another deliverance if he was to stay alive. And Jonah, to experience that deliverance, listen to me carefully, for Jonah to experience that deliverance would have to come to the end of himself. The end of himself. He would have to hit rock bottom. So we sang the song, oh, Come to the Altar. Did you guys see the lyrics? Are you tired and weary from the weight of your sin? Oh, come to the altar. Because here's the thing. Many of us do not come to Christ and do not come to the altar and do not come to engagement with God and experiencing his grace because we have not come to the end of ourselves. We are not overwhelmed by the weight of our sin. But that's the rest of the sermon. I don't want to jump ahead. So Jonah would have to hit rock bottom for him to experience deliverance. Listen to verses 2 through 4a one more time. It says, In my distress I called to the Lord and he answered me. So in my distress, you see that? He answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead I called for help. Okay. 
This is Jonah saying, man, it was dark, bro. I was in a dark place. And so the water, I'm sinking in the water. It's dark. I'm going away. I'm, my, my life is ebbing away. I'm near death. I'm just before that breath where when I open my mouth and breathe, I'll be unconscious and I'll breathe in seawater. I called for help. And look what happened. And you listened to my cry. You, but look at this next verse three. You hurled me into the depths. Who does he blame for his darkness and his trial and his difficulty? God. You can say, well, didn't the sailors hurl him into the depths? No. The sailors were the agency of God, but God is the one who hurled him into the depths. Well, why is God throwing him into the depths, into the darkness? Well, we'll see. God is, God is pushing him to the bottom. God is pushing him to the end of himself. God is pushing him to the depths. God hurled him into the depths. And he says, into the very heart of the seas. And the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. And look at this verse 4. And I said, I have been banished from your sight. Have you ever in your life felt things like were so bad and so dark and so terrible that you were banished from God's sight? He was done with you? This is where Jonah is. Things are as bad as they could be. And here's the thing about getting better. Some of you know this because you've lived long enough. The thing about getting better from your destructive habits and your destructive patterns and our sin acts, you know, our rebellion against God. The thing about getting better is sometimes you have to get really bad. You got, like sometimes you have to get really bad, really dark, really at the bottom of yourself before you'll get better. Now that's sad, right? It's heartbreaking. Have you ever, have you ever prayed for somebody to hit rock bottom sooner? Because you see them, you see they're, they're just destroying their lives, man. They're just, they're, their lives are falling apart. You're watching it happen and you know it's not going to change until they get to the bottom, until they get to the end of themselves. And so you kind of start praying. You're like, Lord, will you just get them to the bottom? Will you just get them to the end of, them, of, your, of themselves? Will you just let them get to the end of their rope quickly, Lord, please? Because I know if they get to the end of themselves, the end of their rope, the rock bottom, then eventually they'll change. I mean, it's, it's heartbreaking, but it's true about human nature. We uh, tend to not make a change and find God until we're desperate. This is why, just keep in mind the whole time I'm talking, that Jonah said, God, you hurled me into the depths. Please keep that in mind. God, you hurled me into the depths. I know it's cliche and people say it, it's super cliche, but bear with me. Uh, you never really know that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is what? All you have. That's the truth. In people's lives, you know, sometimes you'll hear the story. Uh, have you ever heard the story of somebody's life has gone through a terrible disaster? Maybe they lost a child. Maybe they lost a spouse. Maybe they've had a terrible accident and lost the use of some of their body. Whatever. They've gone through some great tragedy. And when you hear about the tragedy, you think, how could anybody believe in a God when those terrible things are happening to people? How could you, I just don't even think you could believe in a God with this kind of stuff happening. But if you talk to the person who's enduring and who's gone through the tragedy, oftentimes they will say, it was in the midst of this tragedy, in the midst of this heartache, in the midst of this dark season of my life, that God found me. 
It was it was when I it was when I couldn't hold on anymore. It was when I was about to give up. It was when I was clawing myself out of trying to claw myself out of this darkness that God came and rescued me. Oftentimes we look at somebody's story that's full of tragedy and we think, how could anybody believe in God? But if we ever stopped and asked them, they would say, No, it was in my tragedy that God found me. And so oftentimes it just takes us coming. To a place of really intense brokenness before we will look up to see God. This is what's happening to Jonah. So in many ways, the fish is meeting a need for Jonah. It's providing him a space to acknowledge that he's at the bottom. That he's made a mess of things. And for you, maybe you've had that experience in your life. Maybe for you it was in a hospital room, sitting by someone you love. Or you were in the bed. Maybe for you it was in the back of an ambulance. Maybe for you it was standing by the casket. Someone that shouldn't be in that box. A space. A space. Where you contemplate. And you look at your life and you say, what is it that I want? What is the type of future I want? Where have I come from and where am I going? God gives him a space for that. For some people, it might be in your living room or on your back porch when no one else is out there with you, but a moment to contemplate. For some of you, it might be driving from one job site to the next job site. Man, what is it about God? What am I living for? This fish for Jonah was not an act of mercy or an act of judgment. It was a place for contemplation. It was a place for him to contemplate. It was not a source of salvation. It was not a source of condemnation. It was a place of contemplation. And we all need to have contemplation about our lives. To contemplate our past. To contemplate our, our future. What we hope for. And I think what Jonah does when he contemplates. Is he writes this song. And he paints for us a picture of the gospel. And I believe that anytime you contemplate your life. And you think well what is it. What is it that I want. And what's the future. And what is, what am I trying to get to? I think, this is just me. I think without fail, you're going, you're going to come to a point where you say, why am I even here anyway? I mean, do you guys ever have those deep questions in your head? Like, I have them. Like, why am I even here? Why are any of us even here? You see, part of the problem with our Western American culture is we're all so busy running, trying to get to the next job, make the next money you know, do the next thing, go on the next vacation, buy the next boat, upgrade the next house, get the bigger TV. We're all so busy trying to do the thing. If you ever notice how you're never quite satisfied with the thing you just bought that you thought would satisfy you, and within about six weeks of getting the thing that you thought would satisfy you, you're kind of thinking like, well, I might get the bigger. I know I bought I bought the 75, but I'm thinking, I thought I would, I th but once I got it up, I realized we had like five more inches, and I think I could go 85. You know, and your spouse is like, your, let's be honest, your wife is like, um, do we need to go 85? Um, and you're like, well, I mean, yeah, it's not need, but it's, we shouldn't waste these extra 10 inches. But have you ever noticed that? Like, oh, I'm going to get this truck and this truck or this boat or this, when we get this house, when, you know, whatever the thing, when I, you know, when I get this purse or I, I'm totally speaking out of my head, I have no idea what I'm talking about on that, but but when I get this, you know, this whatever, 
then I'm gonna, it's gonna be okay. I'm gonna have what I need. I'm gonna, it's gonna be satisfied. And then it's like, when I get this much money in the bank, when our business grows to this point, when I get, when I get this much for retirement, like, have you ever noticed that this is kind of part of our culture, but we kind of part of our culture, but we never, we never get to the point where we're just satisfied? It's because we never stop and contemplate these questions. Like, what really matters? Is there a God? Did, did he, do, do I exist for a purpose beyond getting, is it a, than any of that. And this is what Jonah is doing. He, he's, he's contemplating his life. Your life. And when Jonah's contemplating. When you stop shopping for the next TV. And you actually start asking. What is my life about? God meets you there. And he reveals truth to you. And he shows you things. And this is what happens to Jonah. And we see the gospel. And side note here, by the way, we're in the Old Testament. You're like, why are we preaching the Old Testament? You can find the gospel all over the Old Testament. I'm about to show you the gospel right here in this song. Okay? And so here's the thing about the gospel we see. Um, uh, we see that you and I, we cannot save or rescue ourselves. So if you take notes, you write things down, that's the first thing. We cannot save or rescue ourselves. We just can't do it. And we, we see this with Jonah. We tend to think, well, if I have enough effort, if I work hard enough, then God will God will let me out of this situation, or at least he'll, you know, he'll have, you know, he'll feel bad about me and you know, at least know I tried hard. But what Jonah teaches us oftentimes puts us in places, he hurls us to the depths where we look around and we say, I'm hopeless, man. I got no way out of this. There's nothing I can do. We can't get ourselves out. Jonah realizes that he is helpless. He's hopeless. I mean, what can Jonah do inside the fish? I mean, he's nothing he can do. He's trapped. He's going to die. And we, what Jonah teaches us is that spiritually, the things that matter, you know, not like the, not like the material stuff, but spiritually, you and I are just as helpless. You and I are just as hopeless. There's nothing we can do to save ourselves. We are completely on. We are completely stranded. We need a rescue. And so Jonah teaches us that we are helpless to bring salvation to ourselves. But it's only a work that God can do. Now, I say this over and over and over again, but you can only hear it when your heart is ready. So some of you, you didn't hear that today. And you'll hear it sometime when I preach it two years from now. You cannot save yourself. Your effort to be good and go to church a lot and give some money away and try to convince God you're a good person, not saving yourself. Cannot be done. You are sinking in the belly of a fish. We can't save ourselves. It's not possible. There's an old hymn from 1776. This is what the old hymn says. Not the labor of my hands can fulfill thy law's demands. Could my zeal no respite know? Could my tears forever flow? All could never sin erase. Thou must save and save by grace. 20 bucks, anybody knows that hymn? Boom. Second stanza, Rock of Ages. Uh, Nobody, right? Crazy, right? Right. We just didn't grow up singing. If you grew up in church, you're like, 
We didn't sing the second stanza. Exactly. We were missing out on this great theology. I want to read it again. Listen. Not the labor of my hands can fulfill thy law's demands. Could my zeal no respite know? Could my tears forever flow? All could never sin erase. Thou must save and save by grace. Yeah, he's the only one, right? <laughs> Y'all don't know, Maddie's not the only one who could sing, right? Amen. So, only, we can't save ourselves. If my tears were to ever forever flow, to never stop, if my zeal for the Lord knew no rest, if I was at the church building every time it opened and I served and I worked, thou must say, and saved by grace. So what Jonah says is true. We have been banished from God's sight. Because of my failure and my sin, I cannot rescue myself. Ephesians tells me that I am dead in my sin. And when we acknowledge that and admit that and we're honest about that, then the grace that God offers us can resonate more deeply to us. And God has provided those. Though we can't save ourselves, God has provided a way for you to be saved. He's given this as a gift to you, to be rescued. When Jonah says in verse 4 of his song that he will look toward God's holy temple, he's bringing uh, the image of the temple up. Why is he bringing the image of the temple up? And in verse 7, he talks about the temple as well. He brings up the temple. Why is he mentioning the temple? And we're, you know, modern day American Christians, and so we don't know much about the Jewish temple, but in the Jewish temple, there was the Holy of Holies, and inside the Holy of Holies was uh, the, the Ark of the Covenant, and then on the Ark of the Covenant was a gold uh, piece of slab over the Ark, and inside the Ark were the Ten Commandments, and the Ten Commandments were the perfect moral law of God, and guess how many people have ever perfectly obeyed the uh, moral uh, law of God in the whole universe? One, his name is Jesus. He's the only one that's ever done it, all right? No one's ever obeyed the perfect moral law of God, the Ten Commandments. And they're, they're stored inside the ark. The, the, the mercy seat, this slab of gold that's put over the top of the ark, that's called the mercy seat, all right? And what Jews would do is once a year, the high priest would go uh, take the blood of a goat, and he would go in and sprinkle blood over the mercy seat. And the blood of the scapegoat, the blood of the goat, I'm sorry, would, uh, the uh, atonement, day of atonement, would pay for the sins for the Jewish people for one year, buy them a year of mercy from God, one year of mercy. All right, and some of you are going, man, this is weird. Yeah, okay, so side note, I don't have time to preach this right now, but I tell my kids this all the time. I shouldn't say all the time. I tell my kids this recently, and I need to tell them more. Um, the Old Testament sounds so archaic and crazy and weird to us, but believe it or not, compared to other ancient people around the Jews, the Old Testament was very progressive. So when other ancient people were sacrificing their children to appease their gods, the God of heaven was saying, kill a goat. That's progressive. I know some of you are like, what? Yeah, God disallowed the sacrifice of their children. All the other ancient people killed their kids. Okay? So the Old Testament's progressive. So that was a free, I didn't have time to do that, but I did it anyway. Okay, so, so when Jonah brings up the the temple and the mercy seat, he's, he's also, for us, something he could not know. He had no way of knowing this. 
Um, he, br- he brings up the fact for those of us reading this now is that the, the temple, the Holy of Holies, the, the, the mercy seat was all just a picture or an image of the coming true atoning sacrifice for our sin. Now the word atonement means payment. The true payment for our sin. They had, they, he had no way of knowing this, but Hebrews chapter 10 verses 4 through 10 tell us, and I'm not going to read it, but it tells us this, that, that the blood of goats and bulls cannot pay for sin. In other words, it could put off the punishment of sin for a year, but it couldn't pay for it. It couldn't settle the account with God's justice and God's wrath. But God provided once and for all a sacrifice for my sins, a payment for my sins, a blood to be spread over the mercy seat once and for all. And that blood is the blood of his son. It's God himself in flesh who's come to die for my sin, to pay the atoning, the payment for my sin. So I couldn't save myself. I couldn't rescue myself. We see that in Jonah's song. But he brings up the temple because he's drawing our minds to the to the uh mercy seat where the blood was splattered over the mercy seat to give us forgiveness of our sin and he's drawing our minds as New Testament Christians to this truth that Jesus Christ has shed his blood. He's made a way for you to be forgiven of everything you've ever done that separates you from God. Totally as a free gift because he alone can save. So we couldn't save ourselves. God provided a way for us to be saved. And so when we're contemplating our lives, what is my life about? What is the purpose? Deep down, everybody wants to be forgiven. You want to just believe that you're not going to be held accountable for the things you've said and done? You want that? Guess what? That's free. You can have it. It's hard to believe it, but it's true. So we couldn't save ourselves. God provided a way for us to be saved. But here's the thing. The way of salvation is costly. So we couldn't save ourselves, number one. Number two, God provided a way for us to be saved. And number three, that way of salvation is costly. It's not cheap. Listen to 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. Listen, let me just read this over you. Um, I'm going to ask you to do something. It's going to feel weird, but just for a second, will you close your eyes? Because I want you to hear this kind of with, just with your mind it's not distracted by what's happening around you. Listen to this. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. But with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Now you can look back at me now. Not silver, not gold. That is not what redeems you. But the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. We could not provide a way out for ourselves. God provided a way out for us. But friend, listen to me. It was costly. Oh my goodness. I don't know how to make this clear to you. We talk in our culture right now. We talk about God so generically. We say, oh, you know, I was talking. I hear people say they were, I was praying. I was talking to God and, and, and they, the fact that you can interact and engage with God at all is because Jesus Christ shed his blood so that you can approach God. Otherwise, you're just talking to your wall. Okay? You're just, you're just talking to the wall. It is, it is through the blood of Christ that we are reunited with the Father into relationship with him. And I know that right now that doesn't make any sense, 
But that's how precious of a gift it is. You and I have access to God because of what Jesus has done for us. Um, so, when you're contemplating your life and you're trying to figure out what the point of all this is, like, where is this going? What am I doing here? And you sense that, like, there might be a God. This all might be true. What I want you to know is that God is true. He does exist. He wants you to know him. He's making himself known to you through, through nature, through his scripture, through others. He wants you to know him. But God, more than wanting you to know him, look at me. He's made a way through the death of his own son to secure that you can know him. So he didn't just want it. He secured it. He made it happen. Like this is what he's done. And here's the thing about grace. The word grace, oh my goodness. We sing the song, amazing grace, my chains are gone. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. And if you have never hit rock bottom, if you've never been drowning into the sea of despair, if God has never hurled you into the deep and the dark and you have felt hopeless and helpless and you weren't sure how you were going to get out of this, if that's never been true for you, when you sing Amazing Grace, it just doesn't hit the same. But if you have been in a dark place, wondering if you were going to be able to come out of it, Wondering if your life was ever going to be normal again. Wondering if God would, could, if you've been in that place where you're like, I wonder if God could ever still do anything with me. I'm wondering if God will have anything to do with me. And then you experience God's grace and you experience his love for you and you experience salvation and you experience a life with him of relationship and prayer and scripture and you experience that life with him. What happens is when you sing amazing grace, it hits different. It just does. And I'm going to show you what I mean. Verse 9. Look at verse 9. When you realize that everything's been provided for you, there's this response that comes up out of, out of us naturally. A response of gratitude. Look at verse 9. But I with, what's it say? Uh, you guys. <laughs> you guys are like, shouts. Shouts. We're in church. Church shouts. John shouts. Say shouts. What'd you say? Shouts. Look at John. But I with what? Shouts. A grateful praise. Sacrifice to you. And I know we feel weird about being expressive in church and you know, like, man, you start shouting, somebody probably come up and talk to you. You okay? You know what I mean? Oh no, no, I'm just I'm really grateful because. Like, I was lost, and my life was ebbing away, and I had no hope, and it was really bad, and I met Jesus like two years ago, and everything has just changed for me, and I'm connected to God, and I can't help but shout! This is what Jonah's doing. I with shouts of grateful praise will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say, Salvation comes from the Lord. Now, Jonah teaches us he's helpless, he's hopeless. Leave that up there for a second. He's helpless, he's hopeless. He has no, no way to get out. 
But God provides a way, the temple. He mentions the temple. God provides atonement or payment for his sin. He couldn't pay for his sin, but God gave it to him. And then he says, as I'm aware of your salvation, God, as I'm aware of what you've done for me, as I'm aware of your grace, I'm now shouting with gratitude. He's saying, God, you deserve my praise. You deserve my exuberance. You deserve my expression. You deserve something coming out of me directed to you. You deserve my life. And I will be committed to you moving forward because my salvation that I have, it's so important that you see this. He says salvation belongs to the Lord. You don't have salvation. I don't have salvation. Somebody says, well, I got salvation. No, you don't. He, God, owns the salvation. Salvation belongs to the Lord. It's his. You participate in it. You live in it. You are invited into it. But never, ever think for a minute that somehow you made Jesus king. He was king long before you acknowledged it. Salvation belongs to the Lord. It's his. And then Jonah says, because you've done this for me, I'm going to give you my life. I'm going to surrender my life to you. I'm going to commit, complete my vow to you. And then what happens next in the story? Remember reading it? The fish has some bad fish. Or you could say the fish has some bad, I don't know, shrimp. And what happened? Oh, oh. Vomits Jonah up on the shore. Gross, right? So gross. I, you know, I, I'm preaching this like this actually happened. We talked about this last week. This is not a fable. Like, I think one day I'm going to meet Jonah and be like, bro, what was the esophagus like? You know what I mean? Like, when you got down in there, like, did it, was it, how dark was it? Real dark. Were the rumblings loud? Man, they were so loud. How long did you think you had? I don't know. Maybe an hour or two. The fish became not a place of condemnation or salvation. The fish became a place of contemplation. And in his contemplation, Jonah saw that he was helpless and hopeless and that the only way he could be saved was by the hand of God. And he also saw that he could not save himself, no matter how hard he tried, he was stuck. And he also saw that salvation was provided for him in the temple. Atonement had been made. And he recognized that that salvation belonged to God. It was not his. And so therefore, he gave his life to his God. Then he thanked his God for his salvation. He shouted gratitude and praise. He re recommitted himself to living God's ways. And then he got thrown up. It's not that different in actually everyday following Jesus. I'm going to ask you to stand. I'm going to pray for us as we're dismissed. If there's anything that you want to talk to somebody about, if you want to talk about the gospel, uh, Chris is up here. Stacia's up here. Stacia and Chris would love to talk to you about the gospel. Um, let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for the scripture. We are, we are so grateful for the story of Jonah. And uh, I love the part of him shouting, gratitude to you, God, that he recognized that, wow, look at this grace I've received. 
there was nothing I could do. I was helpless. I was hopeless. And Lord, there are some hearts in this room and on, attending online that they're not ready to hear that. that that's not penetrating their heart yet. Um, they still kind of believe they could, you know, convince you they're good. They still believe that they can be a good Christian person and you would somehow give them credit for that. Uh, they still somehow think that, that if, if they behave well enough, you'll love them. But Lord, for the hearts that are ready to hear that they're helpless and hopeless and there's nothing they can do to be saved, I pray that they would surrender their hearts to Jesus Christ today. That they would just simply say, Jesus, I can't save myself. Will you save me, please? I believe you are God. I believe you resurrected from the dead. And Lord, anyone who says that, anyone who prays that, they, they'll just let us know we want to help them. Father, we love you. We thank you for your son, Jesus. Be with us now as we leave this place. Watch over us and protect us. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you, friends. Have a blessed week and a wonderful day.